So whereas getting type 2 diabetes in your 50s or 60s, you know, obviously that's not good for you. That means that you are doing, doing damage to your body. But quite frankly, if that becomes a problem in your 60s, you only have a couple of decades to worry about it. But if you're 12 and you have type 2 diabetes, you might not hit your 60s. Hi, and welcome to the Solving Type 2 Diabetes Podcast. I'm Tom, and I'll be your host as I share what I'm doing in my daily life to solve my type 2 diabetes. Listen in as I share the food, movement, and tools that I'm using each day. This podcast is intended for entertainment purposes only. For a full transcript or to follow the Solving Type 2 Diabetes Podcast on social media, please head over to SolvingType2Diabetes.com for all those links and more. Now, on to the show. Well, I hope you've had a really great week. I certainly have had a fun and enjoyable week. My week started off in Maine. I recorded the last podcast while we were up there visiting our youngest up in Maine and two grandkids and a son-in-law. So it was a great visit up in Maine. And while we were up there, it snowed. So there was a little bit of snow on the ground when we got there. But then I think we added, I don't know, maybe four or five, maybe even six inches of snow while we were up there. And we usually go up and visit for about five days. And typically our run is a Thursday through a Tuesday. So this was on a Saturday that it snowed. And it snowed pretty much all day long. It was snowing when we woke up and it snowed until the early evening. So we had a chance that day to get out and actually walk in the snow and then walk through the snow after that. So it was fun. They really served us some great food, great meals. I had no problem at all getting in my meat and my veg, which I like. It was a fun time up in Maine. And then my wife and I were home for a few days. I was home for about four days, but now I'm back on Royal Caribbean's Enchantment of the Seas. This is our local cruise ship uh, that sails out of Baltimore, so it's only about an hour and a half drive for me to get to the port. And I do tend to cruise whatever ship they have here locally quite a bit. It used to be a grandeur of the seas back in the day, but then they took that away a couple years ago, and now it's Enchantment of the Seas. And this will be likely my last cruise on Enchantment of the Seas. They're taking this ship over to Europe and then down to Tampa, Florida, and it is an older ship, so I doubt that it's going to be around for more than just a few more years. So it likely won't be back to Baltimore. Uh, the next ship they're bringing up here is Vision of the Seas. And of course, I'm already booked on that one. So it's been a good few days uh, here on the ship. Got on yesterday morning, and I'm recording this now a Sunday, right before it comes out on the Monday. So this has been 24 hours of fun times on the ship. And I have hacked in the pro team. Now, I have brought uh, shakes this time. I also brought some bars. So just like the cruise I was on a few weeks ago, I should have no problem whatsoever uh, getting my protein in while I'm on board. Last night, there was a really funny comedian. And uh, today, I spent some time up in the Diamond Lounge having my cappuccino. It's been a great first day. Let's take a look at my numbers for my rings this week. 
I did close my rings six out of seven days. Now, I didn't bother uh, the day we drove home from Maine. That was the major activity of the day. Yeah, I certainly could have because we were home by four in the afternoon. I just didn't bother. I, six out of seven, seven out of seven. It's all good in my books. My workouts have been all nice long walks, all outside. Even the ones I recorded as inside walks here in the ship were actually outside. But because the ship's moving, I record it as an indoor walk so the GPS doesn't screw me up as the ship's moving. I don't want to take credit or be uh, slowed down because I'm maybe walking in the opposite direction the ship is sailing. Those will show up as indoor walks all this week, even though they'll be outdoors every time at least I can help. My seven-day glucose reading has been 93. That's my 24-7 average from my CGM. So a 93 equates to an A1C of about 4.8, and that's down in the optimal range. So that's nice to see. My body fat percentage, the last time I stepped on the scale while I was home this week, was 22%. I'm aiming towards 17%, so I'm going down, and that body fat percentage has dropped consistently for the past several months, past few years. It's a very slow decline. But that's fine. At this rate, I will likely hit that in about, oh, let's say three, four months. So I'm looking forward to that. My macros for the week, I have averaged each of the seven days, I've averaged 63 grams of carbohydrates, which is right at my goal. And I've averaged 132 grams of protein, which is just a tad over my current goal. So that's nice. Good numbers to report this week. With my Monjaro update, I have just taken my 13th dose this morning, as a matter of fact. I waited 10 days to take this latest dose. It is my fifth dose at 7.5 milligrams. Now, if you recall, you will remember that I started with four doses at 2.5 milligrams. Then I did four doses at 5 milligrams. Then I did a full four doses at 7.5 milligrams. And instead of going up to the 10 milligrams, uh, in discussion with my doctor, I just got another box of the 7.5. So now I've started that box. So this is the fifth injection at 7.5 milligrams. And the way things are looking, I just really do not see any purpose whatsoever in going above 7.5 milligrams. Of course, things can change in the future, but for now, that's the way it's looking. This is week 13. So I completed 12 full weeks. And during those 12 weeks, I've had very good A1C control. My A1C has been down in the optimal level. And so that's working incredibly well. And, you know, in partnership with my Farsiga and what I'm eating and how I'm moving. And I have, as a side note, uh, lost 22 pounds in the 12 full weeks that I've been using Manjaro. So that's a nice benefit. But, you know, that can't go on forever. With regards to my challenges and perhaps uh, some wins this week, my first challenge, and, and it's a compact week here, but I got three challenges I want to share with you here. Three challenges. My first was that I struggled to find this box of Manjaro. If you've been following me on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok, you will have seen that I didn't have my Manjaro, uh, usually when I like to get it, a couple weeks ahead before I need it. I actually was down to the wire. I had taken my last dose of the old box. And before that, my doctor actually did call in the new box to the pharmacy. But that new box, I was still waiting for that to arrive for two full weeks. 
And finally, I was two days away from needing to take this current dose. And I went to my pharmacy. I said, hey, look, how can you help me out? And it's Rite Aid. I use Rite Aid. It's a local pharmacy. It's a chain like, I guess, CVS or Walgreens. And so they called around to other Rite Aid pharmacies in the area. Now, I could have called other pharmacies like Walmart or, like I say, Walgreens or CVS, but I was trying to keep everything with my pharmacy that I like and I'm used to. So they did me a favor and they called around to other Rite Aid pharmacies and they did find a box of the 7.5 dose about 40 minutes away. So they said, would you be willing to go get it? And I said, absolutely. So I drove down to that other pharmacy about 40 minutes away and they had called it and switched it over and I picked it up. And so now I've got the dose I just took plus three more doses in hand. And so I'm happy about that. So that was a little bit of a challenge, a little bit of a win in finding Manjaro this week. My second challenge is my new CGM. Now, if you remember, you'll know that I had been using a company, a telemedicine company called Nutrisense to get the Freestyle Libre 14-day sensors. Now, these are the original sensors. They came out several years ago, but this telemedicine company was selling them, and I was getting them for a month's supply. I was getting that for $199, but they were the old ones, and they're the larger ones, and oh, I didn't like their app. Uh, that much. It requires an internet connection to be able to scan the sensor. And you have to manually scan the sensor by holding the phone up to it. And if you don't do that, and if you've forgotten or if you've slept more than eight hours, you'll have a gap in readings. This new sensor, the Libre 3, the thing I do like about it is that it automatically, every single minute, will send a new reading to your phone via Bluetooth. So as long as your phone is within I guess it's 30 feet or so, of your sensor that you're wearing, it'll just pop the new reading over there every single minute to your phone. Now, there are a couple of downsides. Oh, another upside is the fact that it's small. It's about the size, maybe a little bit less than a quarter in size, whereas the old original Libres that I had been using are about, I'm going to say close to a 50 cent piece in size, definitely more than a quarter. So these are about, I'm going to say, half the size, maybe about half the thickness as well. Very small. And so there's hopefully less of a chance of it getting bumped or dislodged. We'll have to see how that goes. But, and there are a couple of big buts. First of all, their app sets off these warning alarms. And I've heard bad stories about when if you sleep on the sensor wrong and push pressure against it, it can cause it to have a low reading. And then that will set off the alarm. And there's absolutely no way to disable that, no critical alarm. You can turn off the other general alarms it has, but not that one. And also, if your phone is off, you won't get readings. It won't go back and give you those readings historically. Your phone must be on during that minute if you want that minute's reading, and it has to be within range. So that's a minor thing. The big problem and I've already experienced this now. I've been wearing it for about three hours, and I'm still wearing my old one. My old one is expiring today, but I thought, oh, let's wear them both at the same time because they use two different apps, so I can measure one with the old app and measure the other one with the new app. Here's the problem. The new sensor is reading a full 30 points higher than the old sensor. Now, if the old sensor is going up five or six points, the new sensor is going up five or six points. If it's going down, the new one goes down. So they're tracking really well, but there's a 
30-point disparity between the two. And with the old sensor, if I felt it was inaccurate, it had a manual adjustment. I could go into the app and manually adjust it. Say, let's say it was reading something that I thought, hey, this is not right. And I took a blood stick and, yep, sure enough, it's off by 10, 15, 20 points. I could go in and do a manual adjustment. And then for the life of that 14-day sensor, it would use that manual adjustment. The new sensor, in their hubris, I'll say, they did not include a way to adjust the reading at all. They say there's no need to calibrate it because it's a very high quality. Well, if that's true, and here's my dilemma, if that's true, then the readings I've been getting off these old sensors are wrong. Now, this could be just an aberration just with this one new sensor. I don't know. I don't have any equipment to finger stick here on the cruise ship, so I cannot challenge it and say, no, my blood reading is so-and-so and this, this sensor's off. The only thing I know for sure is that these two sensors disagree by just about 30 points, which is huge. In fact, right now, my new sensor says I'm up in the mid-120s, and that's the beginning of the pre-diabetes range. And I have not seen that range in... I don't know, the last two months. Uh, for example, ever since I started taking Manjaro, uh, it's been much lower. So I don't know what to see. I have a feeling what I'm going to have to do is wear these new sensors uh, for the next couple of months until I go back to my doctor. I have an appointment in the middle of May. And I'll get an A1C while I'm there. And I'll compare that A1C to this new sensor. And you know, I can see a 90-day reading on the new sensor. And the A1C from the doctor is you know, based on 90 days. And I'll compare the two. And, you know, if they're within 10 points, if, uh, let's say, on the A1C scale, uh, the doctor says I'm at 5.8, and this one says I'm at 5.3 or 5.4, that's fine. But if my sensor claims that I should have an A1C of 6.5, and that's what it's currently reading right this minute, or and my A1C by doctor's office says, oh no, you're a 5.8. Well, that's not acceptable. So I don't know if, if I'll continue to use these Libre 3s. Heck, I might go back to the old ones. I don't know. Because I can get the old ones via prescription as well. So we'll have to see. Anyway, that's challenge number two. The last one is, I think I need to slow my weight loss. Now, I just reported that I'm down 22 pounds in the last... 12 weeks or so since I started using Manjaro. And the main reason is, quite frankly, is you don't eat as much. You just don't eat as much. So I mentioned that I had waited 10 days to take this dose of Manjaro. In combination with waiting 10 days now between doses, I'm also going to try and eat more. I'm increasing my carbohydrate goal by 20 grams of carbohydrates per day, taking it up to 80. And then I'm going to increase my protein goal even though it's a little high, I'm going to increase that to 150. That's a 30-gram increase in protein. So I hope next week to report an average carbohydrate of 80 and an average protein of 150. Because I think, based on everything the scale says, I have at most 10 pounds to go. I do not want to lose more than 10 pounds. I do not want to be rail thin. I do not want to be emaciated. I do not want to be losing all kinds of muscle. At most, based on body fat percentage and based on my weight on my scale, I really don't have more than 10 pounds to go. So I'm going to try and slow this down maybe from 1.7 pounds that I've been averaging, maybe one pound a week. And then eventually, after those 10 pounds are gone, I want to stop it, stop the weight loss altogether. Now that might require a lower dose of Manjaro. That might require 
waiting two weeks between doses. I don't know, but we'll see. All right, let's take a look at the news. Uh, This first article is entitled Weight Watchers Buys Telehealth Platform Sequence, Facilitating Access to Ozempic and Wegovi. Now, I used Sequence in the beginning, and I happen to know that they also offer Manjaro because that's what I was using. But basically, Weight Watchers bought them out. This is evidently only the fifth time in its history that Weight Watchers has purchased another company. But they paid $132 million for Sequence. And I think it's great. I think that the folks that are using these medications, especially the Wagovi, because that's primarily labeled for weight loss purposes, I think the people that go to Weight Watchers, the people that are going to be using Wagovi, I think that's fabulous to put those two things together. And I imagine that a lot of people at Weight Watchers probably either have prediabetes or type 2 diabetes as well. So that's a whole new arm of support now that Weight Watchers is going to be able to offer. And the folks at Sequence are saying this is going to provide them the opportunity to do a whole lot more research and learn more about the medications and what they're prescribing and how they're using them. And that whole combination, I just think is going to be a win-win for everyone. So I, I applaud this and I think that the folks at Weight Watchers are going to really benefit. This second article, it's a little bit of a downer, but I wanted to share it. It says, incident rates of diabetes continues to increase in children and young adults. Now, this is disheartening. Type 2 diabetes used to be called adult onset diabetes, but that's just not the case anymore. They're saying that year over year, the rate of people under the age of 18 with type 2 diabetes is increasing by 5% each year. If 100,000 kids have it today, then next year they anticipate 105,000 will have it. So it's not getting better, it's getting worse. So it's really pronounced in certain ethnic and racial groups. Hispanic, African-American groups uh, seem to be hit more hard than average. And this is really something that we all as a society and parents especially uh, should think about. They point this directly to childhood obesity. If your child is obese, it looks like their rates of getting type 2 diabetes is going up. And they say here that having type 2 diabetes in youth makes adult type 2 diabetes very severe. So whereas getting type 2 diabetes in your 50s or 60s, you know, obviously that's not good for you. That means that you are doing damage to your body. But quite frankly... If that becomes a problem in your 60s, you only have a couple of decades to worry about it. But if you're 12 and you have type 2 diabetes, you might not hit your 60s. And it's just, it's an unfortunate thing. It's a real thing. It's its discouraging, disheartening, whatever you want to call it. But it's something that we as a society, I think, need to wake up and see and, and figure out what we can do with regards to a childhood obesity. And I imagine the same things would be effective for adults as well. All right, let's move on. This third article, what happens when you stop taking Ozempic? Now, this is something, now I don't take Ozempic. I take a similar GLP-1 called Manjaro. But one of the things I'm considering, in fact, that's our topic for this week, is life after Manjaro. 
And what they're saying here is that because this medication Ozempic and also Manjaro both help regulate your hunger, help regulate your feelings of fullness and satiety, you're eating less. So what they're finding is that if folks don't have any other kind of support or any other kind of behavioral changes or counseling or education, that when they stop this medication, and some people just stop it cold because you know, they don't like the side effects. Some people get GI side effects they really don't like. I'm lucky enough not to really have those. But when they stop, they find those feelings of hunger, those feelings of always wanting to eat something or overeating, they come right back because they really haven't made any other behavioral or cognitive changes with regards to their food. And sometimes it's stronger than what they can do themselves. And that's why some folks really need this medication. So for most people, if they just go off, especially if they go off cold turkey, they find that weight begins to come back on. So that's something to consider. A few times you can hear that people call these drugs lifetime drugs, which sort of makes sense because, for example, if you take high blood pressure medications and it controls your high blood pressure, you wouldn't stop taking it just because your blood pressure is now under control. You would expect that your blood pressure would go back up. So it's the same thing here. If this medication is helping you manage and regulate the quantity and the type of foods you eat to your betterment, and by a side product, you're actually losing weight and certainly not engaging in the negative behavior anymore of overeating, well then, you wouldn't it be normal to expect if you stop that medication that what happened before was going to happen again? Unless you can institute or implement some cognitive behavioral changes, substitutions of some sort, you would almost expect that. So it's not surprising to me when people report going back to their old habits and then that leads to a weight gain. Now here's an interesting article. It's the last article today. And it's talking about some pharmacies are now refusing to stock Ozempic. And while a few of them evidently are refusing to stock it because they don't believe in it, and you've heard this before, some pharmacies don't give out some birth control medications, some pharmacies don't give out medications that they object to. Now, usually if it's a small business that are not a chain or anything, they can pretty much do what they want. Now. One thing this article says is that you cannot turn down individual patients who want a medication, but you can decide not to carry the medication. So that's for some of these pharmacies who say they're not going to carry it anymore. But the majority who are not carrying it anymore say they're not getting reimbursed for what it costs them, that their expense, that what they must pay the manufacturer is actually more than what their insurance and the patients are paying them back. So they find that they are actually losing money. So some people are experiencing oh, a shortage of these medications. We've seen that in the news. But I thought this was interesting that other people are having a hard time because certain, and again, they're usually local, smaller, independent pharmacies, but certain pharmacies are refusing to stock it. So I don't know if you've encountered that or not. Let me know if you have. These articles, the full articles, and if they link to studies, those links, those are all over on the website, solvingtype2diabetes.com. You can click on your show notes in your podcast player, 
and you'll see those links there as well. All right, so let's talk about today's main topic. As I shared last week, today's main topic is life after Manjaro. Now, we just read that article about how people can expect weight gain or whatever to come back if they stop taking these GLP-1 inhibitors. But I don't know. I think I'm talking about me personally here. Again, this is not a prescription for what you should do or how you should approach this. In my mind, there's three options, right? If I look down the road, where do I see myself with this medication in the future? Three options. The first, as I see it, would be simply to continue with the current dosage. I'm on 7.5 milligrams right now. Right now, I'm trying taking it every 10 days. I might find that I need to titrate that back a little bit, maybe take it once every 14 days. We'll see. But that's certainly one option, that I would continue to take this medication as long as it was effective in controlling my type 2 diabetes blood sugar levels. I can't take it so much as where I would continue to lose weight. I have to eat, I think, a little bit more than what I'm eating right now. Probably not a lot more. A few hundred calories a day, but not a lot more. That's the first option. Just continue doing that forever because I will have type 2 diabetes forever. The second option would be to decrease to a lower dosage. Let's say that I find that with this dosage, I simply am not eating enough. I don't stop losing weight. Or my A1C is down in the optimal range. Maybe I need to decrease this dosage. Maybe go back to five milligrams. Heck, maybe go back to two and a half. I don't know. But that would be the second option, would be to decrease to a lower dosage. And so while I'm still taking the medication, I would only minimally be taking it. I am well below pre-diabetes levels. Maybe it's perfectly okay, and quite frankly, my doctor said this, that it's okay for me to stay in the pre-diabetic range. To me, though, that seems a little high. Why, Why can't it be normal like it is now? So I'm not sure how it would work if I would stop taking this medication that's having a positive effect on my blood sugar. But obviously, many other medications come in various dosage levels, and you only take what you need. So I could find that even if, say, I were taking this 7.5 milligrams every 14 days, maybe that's still too much. So that could be a second option, is to decrease to a lower dosage to where my A1C was still good. I stopped losing weight, and I just maintain that, again, forever. The third option... And this is a little hardcore. The third option would be to eventually stop, to taper off, to go down to five milligrams for a while, go down to two and a half milligrams for a while, start stretching out those two and a half milligrams, and stop. I'm not sure I understand how that would work because I can show dramatically that this medication is keeping my blood sugar levels under extremely good control. Now, they might not need to truly be that tight. That's a an option. Insurance could stop covering it. There could be some major uh, disaster where they manufacture this stuff and it could be completely unavailable for months at a time. All kinds of things, quote unquote, could happen. 
But voluntarily stopping this, and I just don't know how that would work. I think for me, the most likely option is going to be the second option. I have a feeling that I will decrease my dosage. Right now, if I had to guess, I might project into the future a couple of months that I'll be down on the 5 milligram dose again. We'll see how that goes. But even after 10 days, my A1C is still under great control, according to my old sensor anyway. We'll see what this new sensor does. But still, even with a new sensor, I'm at the low, right below pre-diabetes. We'll see. But yeah, I think I might do take the second option. Might decrease it to a lower dose, maybe even spread that dose down below seven days to maybe you know, nine, 10, 11 days. But then keep doing that forever. Just like I imagine I'm going to keep taking my Farsiga forever. And I do take a blood pressure medicine. I imagine I'm going to be taking that also for the rest of my life. But as long as all my numbers are good and I feel great, I don't see any harm in that. All right, let's look at your questions. Now, I did get in a a comment, I'm going to say. This is from Mike. Mike had written in before with a question. Mike asked about how I started on Manjaro and why I went through uh, the telemedicine firm Sequence, which is now owned by Weight Watchers. And I answered him, if you remember that answer, I just basically told him it was uh, for convenience. Well, anyway, he writes back. He says, hi, Tom. Thanks for the answer. According to the feedback I've seen on Reddit, the folks at Sequence seems to be helpful. I'm a fan of their medical director, Spencer Nadalski, as well. Glad to hear that your insurance covers Manjaro. Access to this medication continues to be a problem for many. He goes on to say, I'm pre-diabetic with an A1C of 6.3 at the time of my last blood work in October. My primary care physician provided Manjaro for weight loss at the beginning of November, and I've lost 42 pounds after 17 weeks. By the way, I found your podcast as a result of the hashtag Manjaro on Twitter. The content has been interesting during my daily walks. Thanks, Mike. Well, hey, Mike. Thanks for writing back in. I certainly do appreciate that. I am glad to see that you're having super success with your Manjaro. And you say you're taking it here for weight loss as prescribed. And you lost 42 pounds. That's over two pounds a week for 17 weeks. In fact, that's that's darn close to two and a half pounds per week. So congratulations on that. You got me beat on that. And I imagine, I'm just guessing here, but I imagine the next time you get an A1C, uh, it's going to be below 6.3. Because if you had that before Manjaro, I know for me, my A1C dropped dramatically. In fact, I just got an alert on my Apple Health and it was saying uh, for the last 10 weeks, my A1C has, well, my blood sugar reading has averaged 89. And before that, and which is before Manjaro, it was averaging 119. So I have a feeling that your A1C levels are going to be lower the next time you get one read at your doctor. So thanks again, Mike. If you would like to write in like Mike did, Mike went over to the website solvingtype2diabetes.com and he clicked on feedback. He just typed in his comments there and sent them in. And I would be very interested in hearing from you. Are you struggling to find any medications? What do you think about this? merger, this purchase of Sequence by Weight Watchers? Let me know. Do you have any challenges with this Libre 3 continuous glucose monitor? I have a feeling there's a lot of people out there that are knowledgeable, and I'm thinking maybe you could help me out. So feel free to contact me. You can also send me an email directly, tom at solvingtype2diabetes.com.
So what's next? Next episode, since I'm back here on this cruise ship and having a good time, getting in good food and movement, I want to give you details. I want to give you details about while I'm cruising, what I do for my food choices and my movement, both on the cruise ship and while in the various ports. So I hope that's interesting. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Solving Type 2 Diabetes podcast. I hope you found it valuable. Please follow and leave a five-star review as it helps other people find the podcast. By subscribing, you ensure you won't miss the next episode. You can always get a full transcript of the episode at SolvingType2Diabetes.com. There, you will also find the links to leave feedback and links to follow on social media. I'm very interested in hearing from you with comments and suggestions. Thanks very much for listening. Please remember that everything I share is just from my own personal experience and should not be taken as medical or health advice. Please consult your own medical professionals. This podcast is intended for entertainment purposes only.